Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. second edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a drag route across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. I have a good old drag route. Uh, it's very good against a heavy blitzing team, especially one that likes to blitz on the inside. But that's enough coach speak for me. Glad to be here. Uh, we're rolling right along. And those for you that are joining us on Spotify. Thank you for downloading our show. And uh, we look forward to hopefully uh, giving you something to keep coming back to. So I'm excited. Let's get started. Yeah, well, we can't get started without the third amigo in the second city, a man who has been the human embodiment of autotrader.com for the past few weeks. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Town <laughs> Counting, Josh Cook. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I can tell you what it means. Uh, exciting news, my girlfriend bought a car. Um, but, uh, you know, she, she's not a huge, like car enthusiast and sort she's of not a petrol head. No. And, you know, had some vague ideas with what she wanted in terms of styling and, um, hope to get like good gas mileage and stuff like that. But, um, having, uh, a tad bit of some knowledge, uh, in things like that helps. And so I did my best to help out. All right. Well, I'm sure she greatly appreciated it, and she is going to be enjoying it in her what new Nissan Versa, I believe. It is. Yeah, it's a great little city car. Gas mileage is good. Rear view camera, backup camera. Nice and nimble. Yeah. Able to navigate those city streets, fit into yeah. tight parking spaces. Yeah. So uh, there was even a um, even a Versa message board where they were talking about how well their car performed in the snow. So mm. we'll see. See how it goes this winter. Well, uh, we will. Hopefully, just get her some uh, some studded snow tires, and she should be good to go. So it is week two. Uh, we have a couple really, really intriguing matchups that we'll get to a little bit later on. And typically, we would start here with some quick slants where we would offer, you know, uh, just some personal insights on a game or something that stood out to us or that we're looking forward to for the weekend. But we decided to uh, call an audible here. And we are going to each adopt a group of five under the radar team for the season. Uh, the, the impetus for this was during our last show, uh, Josh decided that he is just going to give up on the Iowa Hawkeyes and find a new team. <laughs> and he settled on the Eastern Michigan Eagles. I don't think I phrased it that way. I think Eastern Michigan is an addition to Iowa. Okay. Okay, well, we, we, we can do it that way if you want to, but fine. Um, but yeah, so we're each going to adopt a, a team in, uh, you know, in honor of Josh, I suppose, uh, to sort of track throughout the season, see how things go. And our one rule for this was you had to pick a group of five team that was not favored to win their division or their conference. So Josh chose Eastern Michigan. 
And Josh, just give us a little bit of reason what in, what intrigues you about Eastern Michigan. Uh, so growing up in the Midwest, uh, I had the privilege of seeing Eastern Michigan get their teeth knocked in every year by Michigan. And it wasn't just Michigan that totally crushed them. They would routinely finish dead last in the MAC. Um, they are historically one of the worst teams. Um, but a few years ago, they came close to making a bowl, and then they did make a bowl. And then they had a really hard luck season where they lost like, seemed like eight games by a single possession. Uh, and then they were in a bowl last year. So they've kind of been getting closer to having a product that is at least consistent. Um, I wouldn't say that they're necessarily on track to win the Mac anytime soon, but we'll see. Who knows? Crazier things have happened. And I don't know, just the way they they played at Coastal Carolina to start their season. Um, uh, similarly ranked team in terms of talent, most likely, uh, and beat the Chanticleers on the road. So that was a nice start. And now this week they have a really intriguing game down at the world's largest grocery bag at Kroger Stadium in Kentucky. And Kentucky is coming off a slow start against a fellow Mac team. And I'm just curious if Eastern Michigan, if it breaks their right way, but um, I don't know. They, they just sort of intrigued me. And I loved how goofy their schedule is. So I'm going to run through their schedule real fast. Uh, let's start with the game I just mentioned. They played at Coastal Carolina, at Kentucky, at Illinois. So that's fun. Then they get their first home game against Central Connecticut. Then they're at Central Michigan. So that's uh, four of their first five on the road. Uh, then they get everybody's favorite team, Ball State. Western Michigan, at Toledo, Buffalo, at Akron, at Northern Kent State. So uh, feels like a lot of road games, a random FCS team mixed in there. And oh, by the way, they play on a gray field. So what's not to like about the Eastern Michigan Screaming Eagles? I mean, I, I don't know what's not to like. They are definitely a, a feel-good story, especially when they started 0-6 the other, uh, the other year, came back to make a bowl game at 6-6. Six and six. That was pretty crazy. Uh, wasn't that Miami of Ohio? No, I thought that was. I thought they did the same thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. That's Miami was it Miami of Ohio? <laughs> I might have to edit all this out of the show. I could. No, have you're you're keeping it in. I, I I could have sworn that it was. Uh, I could have sworn that it was Eastern Michigan. I was. Uh, I was well, almost he, positive. Well, here's, here's the nice thing, Matt. There are so few bowl seasons for Eastern Michigan that I can. I'll tell you about them here real quick. So uh, that wouldn't have been the 1971 Pioneer Bowl or the 1987 California Bowl. Uh, but in 2016, when they went to the Bahamas Bowl, where they mm. lost a heartbreaker to Old Dominion, they started out the year four and one. So it wasn't that year. And, oh, no, you're right. You know what? I, and last I, I year was wrong. They, that's, the, that's the year yeah. I was thinking of was that 2016 Bahamas Bowl. So yeah. I was wrong. Um, yeah. Last no year they did there. Last year they did start two and four. Uh, so that's probably what maybe you were thinking of. But 
Yeah, the, I guess I was just on the I, I was on the I was on the wrong Mac team. I mean, it happens. Like, here's the thing that's nice as I I watch a lot of mediocre football, and a lot of times mediocre football includes uh, Big Ten teams playing Mac teams. So, uh, yeah, the 2016 Miami Redhawk team they lost the St. Petersburg Bowl by one to Mississippi State, which is fun and random but they started that year oh and six and then ripped off six straight so there you go that's what i was thinking of all right well uh the eastern michigan eagles we will be can we refer to them as the screaming eagles uh i'm going to in the same vein as my dumb a bear joke which i make 25 times a show i'm going to call eastern michigan variations of the mean green eagles the screaming eagles the mean eagles like whatever pops into my head the, the bald the, eagles the like, meagles yeah the smeagles like the weagles <laughs> oh coach is on the show oh hey what do you know oh, coach hey. coach what team are you adopting <laughs> hey guys um i'm not i'm not adopting eastern michigan um <laughs> would have been great if you did and we just this is the all this is the all eastern michigan hour <laughs> yeah, this whole podcast is dedicated to Eastern Michigan. Um, I mean, we are we are huge. Next week, we're breaking huge. down the top twenty-five pizza places in Ypsilanti. <laughs> now you're speaking we are, my language. We're big in Ypsilanti. My my fat my gut just perked up. Have you ever had to, Have you ever had Detroit style pizza? Yeah, from Jets. See, I call that Sicilian pizza. What's Detroit well, look, style? Because I, 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 I might have fat. I might have had it, but under a different name. I mean, D- Detroit style pizza is like, um, it's it's like it's very very it's rectangular, thick crust, um, and I don't know. It's yeah, I mean, it's a Jets variation is, on the deep dish. Yeah, it's a variation on deep, but, but it's better. I w- I grew up calling it Sicilian pizza. Never right. even heard of this. It's good. It's very good. I I am definitely a fan of Detroit style pizza. Well, then there's one good thing coming out of Detroit. Hi oh. Hey. Okay. All right. My team. All right. Yep. Here we go. Um, before we get down the rabbit hole of uh, Detroit style pizza, New York style, and Chicago style, and all that other stuff. Um. So. Quad when I was style. thinking about this, yeah. There you go. I was thinking of I was trying to think of the most savage team I could pick um, as I watched some group of five highlights. Uh, I'll tell you what, the Panthers of Georgia State, thanks to the guy who drove around downtown Atlanta, <laughs> playing highlights of the game on full blast. Okay, thanks to the Georgia State player who came out in the media and said Furman would be a tougher <laughs> test Paladins. than the Vols. Yeah, um, they are. They are definitely not acting like they've been there before because guess what? They've never been here before. <laughs> um, they're, they're a new, they're a brand new program in a recruiting hotbed of Atlanta. Uh, and they have a lot of, lot of intrigue and potential to, even if they get Georgia tech and Georgia's leftovers, um, they're still going to be pretty good because there's a lot of kids to be had in the state, of, in the state of Georgia, not only, uh, and, and more specifically in the Atlanta area. So my team, at least this year, now they're going to have to fight all year for my attention, but this team, uh, I'm going to stay in the state of Georgia and I'm going to, I'm going to adopt the Georgia state 
Panthers. All right. I think since they play in a baseball stadium, they should do double headers all year with Georgia. They they'll play the noon game, and then Turner Field gets turned over to the Dogs for a three o'clock game. How does that sound? It sounds awful. It'd be more appropriate for Georgia Tech. <laughs> It'd be way more appropriate for Tech. No one wants to see Georgia Tech games anyway. Okay, okay, okay. Let, let, we'll, we'll meet in the middle, Kennesaw that, State. That, that's why that's, – Kennesaw State's pretty exciting. Um, exactly. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Are they the Owls? Yes. Nice. They're at least got a unique name. Kind of. All right. Well, co- Coach is going with Georgia State. Guys, I, I'm going back to one of my uh, – uh, one of the teams of – one of my greatest NCAA football on the PlayStation Dynasties. Matt, Matt, Matt Rutgers doesn't count. They're in the Big Ten. No. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going with uh, all the, the school also known as Sunge, the State University of New Jersey. Rutgers plays like a group of five team, though. Rutgers plays like a colonial <laughs> athletic team. I don't, hey, I, hey, I don't even know hey, if they would hey. compete in the Colonial. I don't even know if they could compete in the Colonial. I can't be too mean. Iowa plays them this weekend. Yeah, well, uh, we'll get to that, we'll get to that wanna, in spread formation. I don't want to jinx anything. Well, uh, guys, I'm taking East Carolina. Now, East Carolina has a proud tradition Didn't of... they burn us two years ago? Yeah, they, they burned us so many times. So guys, like I'm like a moth to the flame. I'm going to keep going back. Here goes Matt. Reason, There's a little bug zapper. Yeah, well, and, and the reason, though, guys, Mike Houston. Mike Houston is their new coach. If you guys don't remember Mike Houston, he comes over from James Madison. All he did was uh, win the FCS national title back in 2016, taking down North Dakota State. They followed that up by a, another trip back to the title game where they lost to North Dakota State um, mm. back in 2017. But, you know, he's a guy that was able to turn around the Citadel – um, in the mid 2010s, moved over to James Madison, compiled a 37 and six record there, including a 22 and two record in the aforementioned Colonial. Uh, and he's just a guy that I genuinely believe in. Also, they have an amazing color scheme, an amazing, amazing uniforms, and they're a fun team to root for. They're the Purple Pirates. I mean, come on, like. Who doesn't a, love the Purple Pirates? Well, in a way, they were our first team that we ever adopted because we did call them the Purple Pirates for like three years, and then they got so awful we couldn't really talk about them anymore. But I do have a question for you, Matt. So like Is a Mike... deadbeat dad, I loved them, <laughs> then I discarded them, and now I'm trying to love them again. I do have a question for you, Matt, though. What's Is that? Uh, Mike Houston from the same coaching tree as Bob Toledo? Is he from the same coaching tree as Bob Toledo? I, I I assume if you're asking it, then the answer is yes, but I, I don't know. Why do you ask? <laughs> it's a joke. They both have cities for their last name. Oh, I was trying to go with like... <laughs> it well, was such it, a bad joke. That I, was I, like, the, the fact that, I mean, that went so far over my head. <laughs> that went so far over my Coach head. Coach got I mean, it. I heard him laughing. He just had his microphone muted. That's why uh, our listeners didn't hear him laughing. God. So, I mean, is there a, a – I mean, I, I would have gotten that more if you went with, like, a, um, if you went with a Mr. Rochester joke from Jane Eyre. Like <laughs> – But that's not football related. Yeah, but it's a city. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we've gone very far off the rails when we are uh, going to uh, uh, Bronte sister novels. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, the Purple Pirates, though, 
proud, proud tradition. Uh, Ruffin McNeil took them to uh, four bowl games in five years at one point. Um, but, you know, he is there no longer. They he ended up in a van down by the river. That he did. Uh, that was followed by the Scotty Montgomery era, which was just absolutely pathetic. I mean, Scotty Montgomery did not do very, very well for himself. Uh, in, the, in the last four games of his tenure, they lost 45-24, 55-31, 66-31, and 37-10. At least they're scoring some points. Yeah, but giving up a lot, uh, a lot more. But guys, do you know who he? Uh, his last victory was against UConn, and I couldn't even bring myself to adopt UConn. I don't think any. I don't even think you know that that's a program not even a mother can love at this point. <laughs> UConn is a twenty-point home dog to Illinois this weekend. That is just so pathetic, and I'm what's sorry. The, for, and I'm over, sorry for everyone in stores who goes to that game. What's the over/under on number of fans there? A thousand? Uh, I would say probably less than the over/under of points scored by <laughs> Illinois. There's going to be more actual like fans than there are going to be like people in seats. Like the big fog fans. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, gents, um, now that we've gone fully off the rails, let's go off the rails even further with uh, today's trivia question. So uh, for our pop quiz, I'm going to have you guys get out your, I'm not even going to have you get out the number two pencils today. We're, we're, we're just doing it. Uh, we're doing it on the whiteboard. Um, so uh, historically, historically, uh, I, I'm always fascinated by preseason polls. You know, how, how are you supposed to rank a team that you've never even seen play? Anyhow, um, I, I'm very interested in teams that are either historically over or underrated. So I uh, did a little research, and since 1989, there have been nine teams that have, on aggregate, finished uh, seasons higher ranked than they started it. So, for instance, you know, for example, last year, Washington State finished the season ranked 10th, but started the season unranked. So going from unranked to 10th, they would be plus 16 for that year. Uh, but last year, Auburn started the year seventh, finished unranked. They were minus 19 for the year. So over the last 30 seasons, there are nine teams that have, on aggregate, finished better than they've been ranked in the preseason. So your job is to give me those nine teams. So, Coach, I'm going to start with you. What team, give me a team that has been historically underrated to start the years in comparison to how they finished. Ooh, um, historically. Well, at least in the last 30 years. In the last 30 years, yeah. Um, let's see. Well, this, I mean, this is really like, this is really the, the one that gives you the nervous sweats. Um, oh, I'm like the kid in the front of the classroom just trying to say, uh, so many times so you can like feel sorry for me, you know? Mm-hmm. I know. You're going to need an answer. You're going to need an answer soon, aren't you? I am going to need an answer now. All right, Texas A&M. Texas A&M, sorry, they are minus 37 on aggregate. So, yes. <laughs> sorry, coach. I was close. <laughs> no, they are minus 37, which, is, which you know, to be fair, not terrible. Not terrible, terrible, but still not great. Josh. Well, I think that uh, a team you have to go with would be Iowa. That is correct. Iowa on aggregate, 21 and a half points better 
then they start the season. Well, I figure the O2 season, they were under, unranked and finished in the top 10. Um, in the O2 season, they were plus 18. Yeah. Same with the O3 season, they were plus yeah. 18. O4, they were plus 11. Yeah. And back in 2015, they were plus 17. There you go. Yeah. Uh, coach. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to say there's there's always that Pac-12 team that's like, it's never ranked. And then at the end of the year, they're, they're always ranked. Mm-hmm. And that team seems to be the Washington Huskies. I feel like the Washington Huskies are, are always, seem, always seem to find their way into the rankings. Coach, that was actually a worse guess than your first one. Uh, <laughs> Washington really? minus 39 on aggregates. Yeah, they, they, they've been minus 20 <sighs> in the last two years alone. Oh, well, yeah, um, I, I knew recently they were they were. Uh, yeah, so sorry, sorry, Coach. I mean, the Tyrone Williams years didn't help. <laughs> no, they really did not. Those Ty, uh, th- those Ty, Ty Willingham years, uh, two thousand two, two thousand three. Well, no, Willingham was a little bit after that, but two thousand two, two thousand three, back to back minus fourteen. <laughs> Damn, I suck at this game. It's okay, <laughs> Coach Josh. Well, you were in the right part of the country, Coach, but you need to go one state over. Boise State's got to be on this, right? Boise State's number one, plus 71. Plus 71. Jesus. Well, well done. Okay. All right. Um, oh, jeez. I'm, like, reeling now. Uh, <laughs> Georgia Tech. The Ramblin' Wreck of Georgia Tech uh, did not make the list. They did not qualify because they did not finish enough seasons. Either They did not start or finish enough seasons ranked to make the list. They had to either start or finish the season at 15 times ranked, and they did not in the last 30 years. So I, I, I'm, I'm actually going to give you a, I'm going to give you a pass. I'm going to give you a, a, a no contest on that one. We're going to give you a pass. I'm going to go to Josh. It's not the first incomplete. Yeah, that, that is our first INC. I thought they were, they, they weren't ranked a whole lot in the nineties. I thought the nineties were like very good to Georgia tech, but I guess not. Nope. Not good enough. Jeez Louise. Um, I know the last few years might have hurt them in terms of negative ratings, but I feel like over the last 30 years, based on marching through the WAC and then the Mountain West, I think TCU is a contender for this. TCU, plus 52 and a half. Josh, you are nailing these. Uh, plus 52, and that's good for fourth best in the last 30 years. <laughs> I didn't even understand the question. I didn't realize it had to be on aggregate. I just wrote down a bunch of teams that I thought went from unranked to ranked. Yes, well you're doing well you're doing well so far. <laughs> well, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm making them look really good too by comparison. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> I feel like Utah's gotta be on this list somewhere. Utah, um, that coach is back to back completes. <laughs> they have not finished or started enough seasons in the top twenty-five. Oh wow, Josh! Oh, that's amazing. Um, I feel like a lot of times Wisconsin was starting the year in the twenties and would by the end of the year be near the tens. 
Yeah. So I'm going to go with Wisconsin. That's correct. Yeah. Was last year, Wisconsin was one of the worst. Uh, and they were a minus 20 for last year alone. Coming into last season, uh, they, that, that, that would have put them, you know, top, top five in the country. So it put them down to number eight, but still plus 10 on aggregate for the Badgers. This is uh this is not a guess. This is just my own curiosity. Um, because I know Georgia's been all over the place with their yeah, aggregate. Georgia minus minus thirty six and a half. You've guessed three right. teams in a row. Three, Georgia, Texas A and M, and Washington are all back to back to back on this list. Okay, yeah, no, in the I negative said that, column. I was saying that wasn't a guess. I was just yeah, I know. Curious. I knew I that know. wasn't one. Um, let's see. Uh, I feel like. I think Michigan State's got to be up there somewhere. Michigan State is correct. They are fifth, plus thirty-one and plus thirty-one and a half on the board. Yep. <laughs> All right. Hmm. Gosh. Hmm. I kind of exhausted the teams that really uh, came to mind, but. Uh, might be a little bit of a stretch. They might be an incomplete that they didn't start or end the year or start or end in the polls enough. But for a good stretch there, it felt like Mike Leach teams were unranked and then would go on like a crazy hot streak down there at Texas Tech. Yeah, they're an incomplete. You're, you, that's okay. an incomplete as well. Not a bad, I, I, that, that's not a bad guess, though. I, I don't mind that at all coach okay uh i feel like colorado's got to be somewhere colorado is going to be another incomplete yes <laughs> yes like the curtis Enos, cordell stewart days you yeah see where I'm going, right yeah i do see where you're going but you know th- they had enough time in the uh in in the 2000s where they just were middling at best to not um to not start or like finish they, the year i just felt like they snuck in Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. to, the, to the top twenty-five. Josh. Uh, yeah, another team that I was thinking about, formerly coached by one of our most beloved people to talk about. Mm-hmm. I know where you're going with this. Bill Snyder in Kansas State. They're number three, plus fifty-three and a half. Ooh. Yeah. L. L. Roberson, baby. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um. Okay. So. Hang with me on this one um, because they had a run in the like the mid 2010 and the early 2010s that probably hurt them and may have disqualified them from this list. Um, but I'm going to go with the Oregon Ducks. Oregon Ooh. Ducks number two, number two, 58 and a half plus 58 and a half uh, because basically the, you know, the, the 90s were very good to them. The 90s were very good to the Ducks. In, in, in the 90s alone, uh, they were plus 56. So, yeah, mm. good work. Good work, Coach. Yeah. Uh, you guys have two left. Two schools left. I'm worried that the second half season collapses under Bowden are going to be too much for him to overcome. But it wasn't that long ago that – Clemson would start the year around 20th and end the year around second or third. Yeah, unfortunately, Clemson minus 33 on aggregate. So I, w- I wonder just... if it was 
Yeah, if it wasn't over these 30 years, I'm wondering what they would have been over like their last 10. Over the last 10, they're fantastic. Since 2009, I'll just read them in order. Plus two, zero. Plus four, plus eight, zero. Plus one, plus 12, plus one, plus three, zero. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they've been fantastic over the last decade. However, before that, minus 18, plus five, minus five, minus nine, minus seven, minus four, minus mm-hmm. seven, minus one. Like, just not pretty yeah. in the Tommy Batten era. Well, why you got fired? Um, <laughs> yeah. Coach? Of course. Uh, let's see. Um, I feel like I, – I feel like uh, – Maybe they don't have enough of uh, positive aggregate to uh, to really build their way high up on this list, but I think maybe they sneak into the back end of this list, um, and and that is the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma. So one of the things this, this punishes teams that are typically ranked very high to begin the year. Oklahoma. So because of that, because they've had a couple of years, especially back in. Uh, especially, you know, back in the early mid two thousands, big game, um, Bob, big game, Bob did not finish the year as well as they started. They're minus 88 and a half. Um, not the worst, but the sixth worst. Uh, who's the worst. My guess would be Notre Dame. (laughs) Uh, Notre Dame is actually right next to Oklahoma. They're seventh worst. But one of their chief rivals is number one. USC. USC is the worst minus 125. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, so yeah, on average, uh, USC crazy. is ranked much, much worse. It begins oh, to know they're at the end of the season. Coach, you struck out. Josh, uh, they're, I struck they're, out a long time ago. Yeah. Coach, there are two. Uh, Josh, two schools left. Do you have any idea of who either of them are? Uh, I had two guesses that popped into my head. Uh, when Coach was talking about Oklahoma, it made me think, "Ooh, I'm a man. I'm 40. Uh, Oklahoma State usually wins like eight, nine, maybe even ten games, but." They're usually expected to win like six or seven. They actually did not qualify. That's an incomplete. Okay. The other team that I was thinking about, I am almost positive they don't uh, complete the necessary years. Um, but each time they went off, Central Florida, like, yeah, would have yeah. incomplete. Yeah. Incomplete. Um, a random team that I was thinking about. Uh, well, two random teams that I was thinking about. Uh, a lot of times, Northwestern and Stanford. Aren't Stanford really is number nine. They are, they are plus eight and a half. Yeah. Um, uh, Northwestern uh, did not qualify. And the one other you guys did not get, Alabama. <laughs> Alabama, plus 22 and a half. Right? Good, good for sixth best. Um, I mentioned USC was the worst. Uh, in descending order from there, uh, Florida State, minus 118 and a half. Texas, minus 114. Michigan, minus 94. Nebraska, minus 91 and a half. Then you get to Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Miami, LSU, Tennessee, and UCLA. Round out the bottom 10. Is anyone at or really, really close to zero? West Virginia. So uh, plus or minus 10, um, uh, Penn State is at minus 10, Virginia Tech minus nine, West Virginia minus six and a half, Stanford plus eight and a half, Wisconsin plus 10. Those are the, those are the five teams that are, I guess you would say, most appropriately ranked year in and year out. Interesting. 
Yeah, I found that interesting as well. I would so. have guessed Ohio State as being pretty accurately ranked. Ohio State's they're, only they're, minus 28, and considering that they start the year pretty high every year, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, that means um, o- Ohio State is the only – Ohio State appears on the list 29 out of 30 years, uh, which is extraordinarily impressive. That means they either started or finished the season in the polls 29 of the last 30 years. Uh the only, I don't believe that there are I think the only, I don't think there are any schools that do all that are start or finish the year in the polls all 30 years. Actually, I take that back. There's one, Florida State. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they right. started they started the polls last year. They didn't end the polls. Uh <laughs> yeah. Well the, yeah, well, I mean last year they started they only started 18th last year. They still so. started. Yeah, the year before that though. They started fourth and finished unranked. Mm. I did the back. Started third and finished unranked. So, um, anyhow, uh, let's head over to our deep roots. Um, we're going to hit the two biggest games of the week last, but we're going to start though um, with uh, what should still be a uh, a classic uh, Big Eight battle: Nebraska versus Colorado at Folsom Field. Josh. Uh, Nebraska came into the season with a lot of high hopes and uh, a lot of prognosticators saying, oh, this is the year that Nebraska wins the Big Ten West, blah, 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 blah. They came out last week uh, and honestly struggled a little bit with the South Alabama squad that is not exactly the greatest. They only scored, I think, uh, one offensive touchdown, one or two offensive touchdowns. Did not look great in doing so. On the flip side, Colorado uh, just... uh, you know, put up 52 points against Colorado State. Now, Colorado State, this is obviously not a vintage Bobo team, but still they were able to put up a lot of yards, but at the same time, give up a lot of yards. So, Josh, how do you see this one shaking out? Well, I think that Nebraska is not a very complete team. Uh, South Alabama had a really good offensive scheme, made Nebraska's day pretty unenjoyable offensively uh adrian martinez 13 of 22 with an interception and only 178 yards no touchdowns pretty ineffective um martinez was under some pressure he ended with 13 carries for only six yards that's not what we expected from him Uh, as a team nebraska had 98 yards on 44 carries and their leading rusher just had 44 yards um I think it's safe to say that Nebraska's running game is a work in progress. And based on some of the uh, rushes Martinez was getting, I think a lot of that work in progress has to do with the offensive line, not really living up to expectations just quite yet. The Nebraska defense played pretty well, but they were awful a year ago. So sorry, I'm not going to call one game against South Alabama, a trend in the right direction. I'm going to wait and see. And I think that if Colorado State and South Alabama were to play, most of us would probably pick the Rams. So I think Colorado did have the more impressive game. And yeah, they gave up 31 points and quite a few yards, but uh, 21 of that was in the first half. I think Colorado made some nice adjustments. I am picking the Buffs, believe it or not. I just think they looked better week one. I think that they're going to get a boost of playing at home. And 
Uh, Steven Montez is a pretty experienced quarterback, and he looked in midseason form against the Rams, 13 of 22, 32, and two touchdowns through the air. So I'm, I'm liking what the Buffs did in week one. Yeah. Uh, Coach, uh, how do you feel about this one? I'm worried that Nebraska doesn't have anyone who can cover LaVisca Chenault. They don't. Um, I don't think they do. I think uh, LaVisca Chenault is a primetime player, and I think he is a big key in what Colorado is going to do and and really just kind of help take the edge off the rebuild for Mel Tucker. I think uh, with, with what he can do with how dynamic he is, it makes that offense extremely dynamic, and it makes them – not only uh, not only balanced run pass, but it also makes them uh, balanced with uh, horizontal threats and vertical threats as well, and, and he definitely gives that. What really impresses me about this Colorado team is their defense. Uh, they they were able to come up with four takeaways against the Rams. Um, they uh, they they you know they they really came out strong, and and a team that we kind of in our preview thought. We didn't really know much about because we knew they were going to do some rebuilding and we knew they had some some turnover in the staff. So we didn't know exactly what what to expect. But I think they showed everybody that, hey, we're we're actually for real. And we have a defense that is high on havoc rate, which havoc rate is is causing turnovers and and disrupting the ball and disrupting uh, the quarterback and things like that. Uh, and they're really good at that. And and also uh, they've got some playmakers, uh, Josh Mitchin, Montez, at quarterback, um, being experienced. And, you know, when you have a target like Leviticus Chenault, you know, that helps. So I just think they're playing good all around. And I think Nebraska's in trouble here. I didn't know that uh, Chenault had become a, a, a book in the Old Testament. You just referred to him as Leviticus Chenault. And I, I think that would be uh, as good a name as any for him because he does bring the wrath of God to corners. We're trying to cover him. Um, See, they, there you go. Don't forget, don't forget about Alex Fontenot. He's a pretty darn good back. He opened the, he opened, uh, the season uh, averaging six and a half yards a carry, getting three scores against Colorado State. But I think he's going to be slowed down a little bit by Nebraska's improving defense, which is led by uh, Mo Berry, uh, who is from Loganville, Georgia, a kid uh, coming out of Grayson High School who's just an absolute tackling machine. He had 12 tackles last week. He's one of their leading tacklers last season. He's a guy who can just cover the entire field. That being said, I, I like Colorado in this one as well, and that's not just because I would, I'm would i rooting for them to win just because I don't really care for Nebraska at all, but I genuinely believe that they are the better team, especially with the home field advantage here. I think this is an interesting matchup, though, of two coaches who are both on the rise. Scott Frost, obviously, we've talked about him ad nauseum over the last couple of years on the show. Mel Tucker is a guy, coach, who you know very well. And, I, you know, uh, I, I think that he's taken over this Colorado program. And I know it's, it's still early on. We're still some very early returns here. But if he can get the defense playing the way we expect him to get them to play, you know, we, he could, you could see him turning – Colorado into a team that competes for the Pac-12 South year in and year out. Yeah. All right, man, a few words. I like that. Um, yes. We're, we're yes, gonna yes, head yes, then. Yes. Uh, let's head uh, from the Big Ten West to the Big Ten East. Ohio State uh, this weekend will be taking on the Bearcats, who are led by uh, uh, who are led by the Buckeyes' former defensive coordinator Luke Fickle. 
Uh, and Cincinnati last week managed to knock off uh, one uh, one Power Five school in UCLA, uh, but they faced a completely different beast this weekend in the Ohio State University. Uh, that being said, uh, there are some uh, some similar principles that are. Uh, uh, in terms of offensive strategy between Ryan Day and Chip Kelly. However, Ohio State has a lot more talent on the field. Justin Fields is leaps and bounds better than Dorian Thompson-Robinson. So, Coach, is there anything that Cincinnati can do to slow down the Buckeyes' offensive attack? Well, oddly enough, um, in watching Ohio State last week, uh, you, you noticed that um, Justin Fields was a lot better in the zone read and a lot better when the pocket was moving or when he was, when he was sprinting out or when he was outside of the pocket in any form or fashion, he was much more comfortable, much better throwing the ball. And I felt like he kind of sometimes struggled in the pocket, um, at least delivering the ball on time, making accurate throws and uh, making proper reads and going through his progressions. I, I thought he looked relatively uncomfortable in the pocket. So, um, for Cincinnati, if they can figure out a way to contain him and box him in, I think they'll have a good chance of, of disrupting and, and really giving themselves a good chance early on. So um, just get pressure, get hits on him, keep him in that box, uh, mix up your coverages, disguise your coverages, things like that. I think Justin Fields will, will, will kind of struggle because I think beyond, you know, beyond simple coverages, I still think just relative to his age, I still think he kind of struggles with that. Uh, Josh, obviously Ohio State looked very, very strong in their opener last week. But do you see, you know, is is there a lane for Cincinnati to pull off the upset here? Yeah, there's a lane. It's kind of a narrow one, but there, there's a lane there. So first of all, Cincinnati's defense, really, really good, as you'd expect with Luke Fickle's pedigree on that side of the ball made UCLA's offense just look hilariously inept. Uh, your boy, Matt, DTR, 8 of 20. Whoa, 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 whoa. When did he become <laughs> my boy? Whoa, don't, don't try to sneak that by me. No, uh, no, 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 no. I did not sign off on him. But no, the, the UCLA uh, quarterback, 8 of 26, 156 yards, Gosh. two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, and he was also he also sacked two twice. And he had two fumbles. I believe he had four turnovers himself. He did, yeah. Um, they they made his day miserable. They pinned their ears back. Um, they played really well on that side of the ball. For Ohio State, we didn't learn a whole lot about them. Florida Atlantic was extremely overmatched, and the Buckeyes shot out of a cannon, went up 28 nothing in the first quarter, um, ended up with just 45 points. Uh over the rest of the game. So they kind of tapered off Florida Atlantic scored 15 points in the fourth quarter when it was all said and done. So you can't really, it's not like a 45 21 game where Florida Atlantic competed for a half. They just got some cosmetic scores late. So harder to know about Ohio state, but I think with that defense, Cincinnati has a chance to get under the skin of Ohio state. And once you're under the skin of Ohio state, maybe they make some dumb decisions. I remember when Iowa blew them out somehow a few years ago, they were just making plays and Ohio state got really upset and they started making dumb penalties. And then one of their players got ejected 
for launch at the quarterback. And I know it's a different coaching staff, but um, the same holds with this. Um, and I think coach, you would agree when you are the favored team and you're supposed to mop the floor with someone and they're just kind of hanging around and hit you in your mouth. Sometimes you start playing sloppy and, and start letting the fundamentals slip away from you. And it seems like unlike a lot of sports, when you lose the fundamentals, football can be a really, really cruel game. Let me, let me explain the psychology of, of what you're saying. Um, because this, this happens, this happens in high school quite a bit where you get a team that you, you let hang around. You're supposed to just absolutely murder this team, but um, in doing so, you kind of almost lull yourself to sleep and, and you get, and you get really, really relaxed and lazy uh, because you know that you're going to out talent them. So you kind of just flake out on the, on the fundamentals and then you start really making mistakes you make a couple of mistakes and then you start pressing because you know, you're supposed to run the score up on this team. So that usually leads to even more compounded mistakes. And, and sometimes if you're a less disciplined team uh, in general, um, you know, there's not a single team that's not immune to that type of performance. Um, but if you're, if you're a disciplined team, you always find a way to recover and, and pull away later, but the undisciplined teams are the ones that end up, you know, getting upset or, you know, just barely squeaking a win out in, in, a, in a game that should have been over by halftime. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I definitely agree agree with that. I also love the fact that Luke Fickle has been subtly trolling Ohio State all week. He's just been referring to them as that team up north, <laughs> which I think is wonderful, uh, especially because funny. Luke Fickle k- kind of got a raw deal at Ohio State. Uh, he took over um, when Sweater Vest was – unceremoniously uh let go uh and then they hired urban meyer and he was loyal stayed on staff but when he got that opportunity to go down to cincinnati he took it and all he's done there is turn that program into an american conference powerhouse so and what i love about him win or lose what i like is his recruiting strategy has been the state of cincinnati uh try to get those local kids and those northern kentucky kids i like that in terms of another like potential aspect of an upset, if you want to look into it, Ohio State does start conference play their following game. I don't know why they'd be looking past to Indiana, but there's always a chance, you know. And in terms of Cincinnati's lack of offense a week ago, I'm curious if they back pocketed quite a few plays from their playbook knowing that they had the Buckeyes next. Yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them. And obviously fickle knows Ohio state as well as anyone who's not on that staff. You know, he, he was in and around that program forever. And he, you know, he knows that he knows a lot of these kids that he'll be playing against. I mean, he, this is what his third season at Cincinnati. Now Mm. I think. Yeah. second second or third season at Cincinnati third. yeah third season at Cincinnati so a lot of the kids who are you know juniors and seniors now were kids that he probably recruited out of high school you know played for him when they were freshmen things like that so 
you know, this game is going to be, is going to be close. I was surprised to see that the line of this game was only, was only uh, Ohio state as a 16 point favorite. I thought I figured they'd be, you know, 21, but I think that shows that Las Vegas actually respects his Bearcat team uh, a little bit more than maybe the casual fan does, but you know, it, it would not surprise me if this is a, you know, a, a one score, one or two score game, you know, well into the fourth quarter. So let's then head out to the West Coast for uh, for a late night special in Seattle. Uh, the Golden Bears, of California, are headed up to take on the Huskies and coach Jacob Eason, your former quarterback down there at Georgia, looked awfully sharp in his oh, yeah. Washington debut 27 for 36 300 basically 350 yards and four touchdowns uh what can Justin Wilcox and the Cal defense do in order to slow down uh Mr. Eason who is now operating behind center back in his hometown oh that is uh that is a lot of that's a really loaded question um on, honestly uh use their front seven to their advantage um, dial up really good pressures, make the Huskies drive down the field. Um, I, I think, um, you know, when you don't pressure Jacob Eason, when you don't pressure this offense, they can take vertical shots on you. They can take, you know, they can stretch you all different, all different ways. Um, so if you don't get creative with your pressures, if you don't get enough guys in Jacob Eason's face to disrupt throws, I know I sound like a broken record here, but um, honestly, that's, what you do against a good quarterback, you disrupt his rhythm. And by disrupting his rhythm, you mix up your coverages, you mix up your pressures, you bring, you know, you bring two guys off the edge. Then the next time you bring a guy off the edge and a guy in the A gap, you know, any way you can confuse that offensive line and get hits on the quarterback is always a good thing. And then of course, uh, steal possessions and, uh, and special teams, try to, try to get, try to cause turnovers, try to get takeaways. Um, and then, um, again, um, offensively, they can also help uh, with the cause by controlling the ball and controlling the clock as well and just keeping Jacob Eason simply off the field. Yeah, Josh, you know, we, we've talked uh, a lot on this show over the last couple of years about, you know, how much we really respect Justin Wilcox as a defensive mind. But this, this is a really tall order to go into Washington and pull off the upset. Um, on the other side of the ball, when, when Cal is in possession, you know, what, what do you think their real strength is uh, in, in what can they do in order to, uh, in order to really pull off this upset here? Well, I know it was UC Davis, but whenever you have 233 rushing yards on 51 carries, I think it's safe to say you have a pretty nice running game brewing. Um, yeah, David, and, David. and, and, and <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of that running game, I mean, Christopher Brown Jr. had himself a day, 197 yards on the ground. Yeah, I, I know Davis hung around, but I think that there's a combination of factors. The first is Cal had four turnovers and lost the turnover battle four to one. And some of it was just like goofy rust opening day, just like not up to game speed yet. Like they fumbled the opening kickoff. <laughs> so uh, just some things like that. I think Cal will be a little bit more polished. What I'm curious about is uh, Washington has kind of donned this persona of like defensive back you they've had like Buda Baker and some really really good players go through there and their defense on the whole 
is really good against fellow Pac-12 teams because so many of them pass and they always have one of the best secondaries, not just in the conference, but in the country. Where we've seen Washington struggle at times is like, hey, whether the playoffs, they're playing a more complete offensive team or a team that is more physical than they are. I don't know if Cal is anywhere near a playoff team this year or in the near future, but they're certainly one of the more physical teams. And if that running game can get going, combined with Wilcox being such a good defensive mind, it wouldn't be the craziest thing. Like I wouldn't wake up stunned on Sunday going, man, I cannot believe Cal somehow beat the Huskies. I think there's a shot. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a shot, but th- this Washington team, you know, came out of the game, came out of the gate like gangbusters, you know, but I mean, obviously it's to be taken with a grain of salt. Both these teams played FCS teams in week one. Cal played Davis, as you mentioned, Josh, Washington played Eastern Washington. So we didn't really get a feel for who either of these teams are, you know, ha- having a really tough conference game in week two like this you know it's definitely not the easiest thing and the pressure is going to be on Washington um with Stanford being uh you know being a little bit down this year you know I the the pressure is really on Washington this year to be um to be the bell cow of not just the north but potentially the entire conference I mean we still had happened in Oregon last week and you know at at this point they are the highest ranked team in the Pac-12 at 14 you know, I don't think the pressure is going to get to them. I think that Chris Peterson is, uh, you know, as good a coach as you're going to find, at least in that conference, if not the country. And so, you know, he's going to have those guys ready to go. But it's, you know, I don't, I don't like saying anything can happen because I feel that's a bit of a cop out. But still, like, you know, I- anything can happen, especially when you have such a good defense like Cal does. Before we move on to our next game, though, I just want to mention that uh, I'm, you know, uh, online, I, I'm getting the, the, the random ads popping up and the the banner ad I'm getting on the Cal versus Washington page says a, it's a Dosecki's ad that says a taste as timeless as the Vols. I don't know if you're Dosecki's, if you really want to be aligning yourself with Tennessee Vol football right now. You probably don't have a whole lot of viewers. Yeah. If I'm guessing, but uh, your your point on Cal and copping out, saying anything that can, anything can happen, yeah. When you have a great front seven, and when you have a brilliant defensive mind, yes, anything can happen. Um, and they're competitive, and they're going to be better than a lot of people are giving them credit for. They might make this list from the pop quiz you just gave us here pretty soon. They might. They might. I mean, if, if they keep it up, I mean, this is a team that, you know, would not surprise if we start to see them become a perennial top 25 team uh, at the end of every season. Let's head down, though, to what is uh, one of the two biggest games of the week. Uh, last year was an absolute, uh, you know, uh, fireworks display in Kyle Field uh, in College Station. This year, the game is going to be held back in in Clemson and Death Valley. Texas A&M versus Clemson. Uh, this one's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, both these teams uh, came out of the gate looking uh, pretty darn strong. Uh, obviously, Texas A&M only played Texas State. They waxed the 
They waxed the floor with them 41 to seven. And Clemson came out looking really strong, although Trevor Lawrence did not exactly have the best performance of his career, uh, throwing two picks against Georgia Tech last week. So, Coach, what is uh, what, what are you going to be looking for here in this game? Well, I'm going to be looking for how can Texas A&M slow down these offensive weapons? I mean, they Clemson has weapons all over the place with Travis Etienne, Justin Ross, T. Higgins. They have an they have a really good offensive line that that help keeps uh, Trevor Lawrence upright. So I'm going to be watching to kind of see how how they how they play all of these weapons and, and where what they put a preference on as far as are they going to try to go sell out and get pressure, lock down zero coverage and trust their guys? Are they going to, are they going to zone cover it and, and try to get fancy with their blitzes? Are they going to sit back and, and, and play cover, you know, cover eight where they just drop everybody. Um, I mean, you just got to figure out how they're going to manage um, such a dynamic offense that has so many, elite weapons i mean there's not a team where you could name every single one of their weapons and clemson is one of those um offensively uh we're gonna see how texas a&m can respond how can they take advantage of uh, clemson not having as good of a defensive front as they did last year um can they control the ball can they can they can they move the ball in death valley uh, is the noise going to be too much it shouldn't be because they should be used to to that kind of thing, uh, playing in the SEC and especially Kyle Field, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how Jimbo navigates this game and how he manages this game, and you know, kind of what his overall philosophy is coming into it to see what they're going to do offensively, what they're going to do mainly defensively to kind of slow down Clemson because Clemson Clemson can put twenty one up on you before you even blink, and, and it's it's a scary thing. Yeah, or, Josh, or a fun thing for us viewers. Yeah, Josh, they really can. Oh, one of the things that really impressed me last week, though, with Texas A&M is that Kellen Mond has come out here. And, you know, he looked good last year, but he looked really good last week. Yeah, he's a heck of a quarterback. He's probably the best dual threat quarterback in the SEC. I don't think uh, Tua can run well enough. No. Compared I mean, to Mond. Um I mean, it, it's not—it's it, it, not from. He's not running anywhere. No, Felipe, Frank, mean, Felipe Franks doesn't throw it well enough. Yeah, uh, Jared Garantano doesn't do either of them well enough. <laughs> um, Bryant, there at Missouri, maybe he's maybe maybe Kelly Bryant. Yeah, yeah, Joe maybe. Burrow doesn't run. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So I mean, we're talking about a pretty good quarterback on top of being a dual threat, and <clears throat> with Clemson's outstanding defensive line play that we've come accustomed to well you're going to need to be fleet of foot so i think that is texas a&m's best chance uh their running game got going really nicely a week ago 246 yards and two people over 100 yards uh keeping clemson at least somewhat honest with their running backs um will be key and the other key, I think, is just the fact that I don't see Clemson having 400 rushing yards two games in a row. So if they just bring Clemson to regress to the mean, they're all automatically doing better than Georgia Tech. But for me, one of these coaches has multiple national titles now. 
and the other basically got run out of town despite having a national title and seemed like he really didn't care the last few years at Florida State. Uh, maybe someone could prove me wrong, but I feel like the way that divorce happened, I don't see any Knowles fans getting too angry about that statement. So I think that Clemson wins it. And as good as Texas A&M looked a week ago, and we do like some of their pieces, kind of like Cal pulling a major upset, I wouldn't be too surprised if this game got out of hand. These two coaches have two of my favorite names, Dabo and Jimbo. So, yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't completely shock me if Texas A&M won, but, I mean, Clemson is just such a complete team, and their offense can just get going in the blink of an eye that it I – w- I would be quite surprised if Texas A&M does manage to pull off the upset. Last game uh, I want to get to before we hit our spread formations is LSU at Texas in Austin. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, two teams that are – you know, historic programs, but uh, in, in, in this case, uh, you know, two teams that have, um, you know, maybe underperformed a little bit of late. Uh, Josh, I mean, you never like Texas. So give me, the, give me another reason why Tom Herman's team is going to lose this week. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I don't really like LSU either. <laughs> well, that's true uh routinely overrated uh look lsu seems to have a quarterback that's that's been the popular opinion on joe burrow he looked pretty crisp against georgia southern although it was georgia southern um so uh, with with him playing up to the hype and based on how we've seen texas have some uh oh games against good offensive teams yeah, maybe LSU wins in Austin. And also it's criminally overrated Texas. They'll find a way to totally kick the can down the road and, and find a way to lose this game. It's just, it's funny. I, I can't remember a top 10 game this early in the season where regardless of who wins, I know they're not making the college football playoff. So why does it matter? Who cares? I don't know, Coach. There, there seems to be a, a lot of hype around this LSU team. There really is. I mean, and, and is that just because of the defense? No, I mean Joe Burrow has a lot to do with it too. I think he is uh, the way he kind of played and kind of finished out the year. Not a not a lot of people knew too much about him coming into last year, and then I think it started when he dismantled Georgia on national television, and then uh, it kind of just snowballed from there. So, I mean, he's got a lot, a lot of respect, uh, about as much as Sam Ellinger at this point. And you know how the, the nation feels about Sam Ellinger. And I know Josh is probably rolling his eyes. I can hear him <laughs> rolling his eyes right now. Um, so, but, you know, LSU, Herman's probably kissing him right now. Yeah, you have uh, you have the Raging Cajun versus Smoochie here. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's, you know. Again, LSU's reputation hinges on defense. So to answer your question, yes, but I would say I would add another element to the, the, the Joe Burrow factor as to why the hype train is is parked squarely in front of LSU right now. I don't know. Maybe I'm like 
too much of person of like wanting personal space and too much of like not wanting to transmit diseases but why are you kissing every player it's it you think it's weird that he's kissing his players i've never known a coach to do that yeah that no that i agree with you the the closest the closest i could come up with is woody hayes traditionally punched every player (laughs) that is true that is yeah that that is also true we can't uh uh can't ignore that all right, guys. Um, let's finally move on to some spread formations. We Actually, are to- just real, 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 real quick. Just one kind Ooh. of crazy game on my radar. Uh, we all love what Willie Fritz is doing. I even said Tulane had a decent puncher's chance to win kind of a wide open division nice in the point. American. They looked real sharp a week ago. They did. What do you think of a classic Gus Malzahn? let down uh do you do you it, put do you put more than five percent odds on the upset i put well not just that auburn's a 17 point favorite here and i would hammer out tulane in this one auburn is coming off such a high uh after beating oregon in that fashion they've still got a true freshman quarterback who you know before that final game winning drive looked like a freshman he really looked like a freshman the only only thing that would, you know, uh, take the wind out of my sails there a little bit is the fact that, you know, if, if they were playing another big game next week, this could be a, a bit of a trap game, but they've got Kent State next week. So they, they're not worried about next week's opponent either in terms of Auburn. I, I, I like, I really like Tulane to cover that 17 point spread, but, you know, I, I would give, I, I'd give them, you know, between an eight to 10% chance to win the game. I think Auburn's going to cover that. I mean, their defensive front is just, too good. I, I think Tulane's going to struggle moving the ball against them. But doesn't the option sometimes neutralize that? I mean, we saw Army move yeah, the ball some, against plenty of teams. Sometimes, but when you when you're a lot more aggressive with it, and you have like three guys there, it, it it makes it really difficult. You know, just look at Georgia Tech. Some of the some of the big athletic teams that they played and and how bad they struggled. So. Yeah, and, and, and one of the best style, ways to beat but... the option is just to blow it up from the inside out, and they can do that with Derek Brown and the rest of that defensive line. Yeah, I mean they've got the the interior guys are the ones that 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 drive that. The ends are the ends are being red, and the ends are almost the ends are the ones that are neutralized. But if you have a good interior guy that's hard to block, then it, it really disrupts it. Uh, you know, Josh, I almost put that in our deep roots for this week. So I'm glad you brought that up. But let's move on to our spread formations. We're going to start with what should be an ACC battle, but instead is an ACC Big Ten battle. Syracuse, uh, fresh off of their 24 nothing victory um, over Liberty, um, heads down to play the Dirty Terps in uh, College Park, Maryland. Uh Syracuse, the ranked team, an underdog, a two-point underdog on the road against Maryland. Over-under set at 58.5 on this one. Josh, you and I are both 3-2 and two last week. Coach is 2-3. and three, So how are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I think Syracuse uh, people are a little bit maybe shy on after kind of a ho-hum game a week ago against Liberty winning 24 nothing. I don't see their offense being stuck in neutral for a second week. I think DeVito plays a lot sharper after two interception performance against Liberty. Um, 
and on the flip side, Maryland's coming off of a 79-0 shellacking of Howard. So I think that's brought the spread down, and I think Maryland being the home team is also getting some points that way. Um, so I'm going to go with Syracuse to cover because I have Syracuse winning outright. I think they're the better team, and I think they're the better coach team because uh, let's see. Their, Maryland's head coach, uh, last week's win gives him his third for his career, and oh, by the way, this is his third season as a head coach. Yeah, not exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, coach, who you like I'm, here? I'm going to double down here. I like Syracuse to win, and I'm going to say they, that this game takes the over. Oh, you like both of them. Well, uh, Coach, you know, you're essentially agreeing with both me and Josh. I'm taking the over here. It's only 58 and a half. I think that's that's a very low over considering the fact that Maryland put up 79 on their own last week. And Syracuse, I know they only put up 24 against Liberty, but this team has the potential to put up half 100 in any game with that Dino Babers offense. So I'm taking the over. Uh, Josh is on Syracuse. Uh, Coach is on Syracuse. Uh, next game uh, is one of the most interesting matchups of the entire weekend, as far as I'm concerned, uh, in games I don't necessarily have a great feel for. Vanderbilt is heading to Purdue. Both of these, one of these teams is going to start the season 0-2 here after Purdue lost uh, at Nevada last week in that crazy, crazy finish. And Vanderbilt lost to Georgia in what was essentially a home game for Georgia here in Nashville. So uh, Purdue, seven-point favorite uh, at home. Over-under here is 56. Josh, who do you like? Well, this is going to be the heartbreak bowl because whoever loses is going to be 0-2 despite two teams that I think had some bowl hopes uh, coming into the year, especially Purdue. Um, Purdue's got some issues. Uh, They did not get the ball to Rondell Moore very much Mm -mm. in the second half. That's a cause for concern. They don't appear to have a very potent running game so far. Their leading rusher had 19 carries for 66 yards. Uh, They rushed for 96 as a team um, against Nevada, which who knows, maybe Nevada will end up having an amazing rush defense, but I don't think anyone of us thought they did coming into the year. So that's some causes for concern. Uh, they gave up 300 rushing or 300 passing yards almost and three touchdowns. That's a cause for concern. You guys talked on and on and on about last week how Vanderbilt tackles really well. That's a little bit of a cause for concern. And also, we don't have to look too far back to find a slow start for Purdue. Last year, they lost in kind of a heartbreaker to Northwestern. And then they lost a what the hell is going on game to Eastern Michigan. And then they lost to Missouri to start 0-3. Maybe it's recency bias, but sounds like Purdue takes a little bit of time to get into midseason form. I'm going to go with the Doors to win this game. And since the spread is only, uh, I believe, like six and a half. um, Oh, wait, Purdue's favored because I don't know why. Purdue's favored by seven. I forgot that. I had that flipped in my notes. I had... Vanderbilt uh, being favored. So I don't even need to talk about how Vanderbilt's going to win by more than a touchdown because it doesn't matter. Vanderbilt's covering. All right, coach. 
I mean, I really like Vanderbilt uh, because just what I talked about in the recap last week, they're just they're just such a good discipline defense. They tackle well in space, and I think Purdue is a team that is heavily heavily reliant on the big play, especially from Rondell Moore. And I think Vanderbilt's defense will will do a good job of neutralizing him and making it tough for the for Purdue to move the ball. And and as you can see from from the Nevada game, they're going to have a tough time moving the ball in general. Um, Vanderbilt's not going to make it any easier. And then of course you have Keyshawn Vaughn, Kalijah Lipscomb, and uh, Jared Pinkney on offense. You have that trio there. Riley Neal is playing some really good football. He 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 was actually. He was actually able to sustain a couple of good drives against what was one of the most elite defenses in the country um, a week ago. So um, I say all of that to say that I think Vanderbilt's going to win this game. Um, I'm not going to pick the over under here because I truly don't know. Um, I could, I could easily make a case for it hitting the under, but I could also make an easy case for it to hit the over because it's only 56. Yeah, I like I like Vanderbilt and the under here, but I'm more confident in Vanderbilt to cover that seven-point spread. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, next, uh, we've got Central Florida, our 11-point favorites on the road at Florida Atlantic. Over under here, 67 points. Josh, what do you like? Yeah, I like Central Florida big, and I like them to cover that double-digit spread, and I like the game to go over. They scored 62 points a week ago, and that's with scoring 48 in the first half and pulling all their starters. If Florida Atlantic even scores like 7 to 10 points in the first half, they're going to keep the starters in for a lot longer. So I I expect them to win big, and I expect the game to go over. Do you have a preference on on which, which one of those you're more confident in? I can't do both. I can't do a double. Oh, well, you can double down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Double down. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'll let you guys double down. Coaches double. I got, I'll let coach double down on that first game. So yeah, why not coach? All right. Um, I like UCF here to cover. Um, I'm, I'm very confident in that. And I'm very confident that I think it'll be kind of like a, I'm, I'm pretty confident it's going to be like a 49 to 21 type game which scares me to death on doubling down on the over um i i I would pick the over but i'm more confident picking ucf so i'm not going to double down but i'm going to take ucf to cover i'm more confident in the over than i am on the uh, on ucf here um i mean i obviously i i would you know gun to my head i'll take ucf to cover but i really like the over here i think that both these teams can put up some points so what um, did fau show you a week ago I, I, I still believe in Lane Kiffin's offense at the end of the day. Well, they, they still kind of – Why? I don't know. He's burned so many people so many times, but I still do. They sort of got it together a little bit against Ohio State, and they had a little bit of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the second yeah. half. Yeah, I guess the fourth stringers in the fourth quarter, that was – yeah. <laughs> Somebody All right. Next, uh, we've got North Texas at SMU. Uh, the uh, – them uh the mustangs three-point favorites at home uh big over under 72 and a half here josh yeah that's a number uh i think it's getting that mostly because uh mason fine in the north texas mean grain offense is uh pretty good and put up half a hundred a week ago uh smu little bit of a surprise they won their first game at 
Arkansas State. I know SMU's in the bigger conference, but it was a road game. People weren't expecting too much uh, from the Ponies this year. But uh, I could not believe when I saw this line that SMU is favored. And so I'm going to stay away from that insane over under 70 some odd points and go with the smart, easiest pick of the week. North Texas is going to kill this team. Coach. Ooh, yeah, I, I think North Texas is – I'm surprised North Texas is not favored on the road, but um, in picking them to win the conference, I got to show confidence that they can uh, win big games, and this is their first, first opportunity. I'm going to take the mean green. Uh, I'm going to stay away from the over-under there. That's a lot. 72.5 is a lot to cover. But, let's make it let's make it three for three North Texas covering uh that three point spread. Um finally uh it's time for the Rutgers line of the week also known as the Sunge line of the week for the State University of New Jersey. They are only 20 point dogs in Kinnick Stadium Josh. Nice low over under at 49. Uh what do you like? Well, I'll be watching the game so like Kirk Herbstreit I I can't pick the game. <laughs> So I'll, I'll I didn't know you coach. were calling the game too. <laughs> I'll let coach go. Coach, you wanna you wanna take it from here? <laughs> I'm not okay. gonna jinx him. I'm not gonna jinx him. Okay, Herbie. It's a um, strategy. <laughs> okay. Obviously, I think I was going to going to cover this not by a whole lot. They're it's gonna they're gonna sweat it out uh, to cover, but they'll eventually cover. Uh, it may not be as soon as you want it to be, uh, although they're capable of that. I think Iowa needs to work some things out with uh, with Nate Stanley and, and, and crew. So uh, I'm going to stay away from the over under on this one. I think they, I think they hit, I think they barely hit the over um, because it, it's only at 49. But uh, I like Iowa to cover and cover late. Uh, give me the Hawks. Give me the over. But I'm more confident in the Hawks covering the 20 so sorry dad <laughs> no I, i'm kidding i'll make a pick otherwise our our stats will be all no i mean the, our, our stats have already been uh, are already out the window with us being able to double down the over under so no but it, but it still makes it more fun so uh look here's the thing rutgers looked a little bit better against massachusetts um it was also massachusetts and um you just ignore the second, third, and fourth quarters, okay? Which I know is crazy. I'm saying ignore three-fourths of the game. But opening quarter, Massachusetts won the opening quarter 21-7. to Rutgers, yeah, they, they figured it out and they turned it around. But to have that sloppy and uninspired a start in your season opener against one of the five worst teams in the country is pretty telling. I think that this is going to be a vintage, awful Rutgers team. And sometimes they're kind of squirrely. I know when Iowa played them a few years ago, Iowa won 14 to seven, but the odds are Rutgers is going to have a losing record and going to lose double digit games. The odds are Rutgers only wins one or fewer conference games. So with those odds, 
it makes sense that Iowa would win this game by three touchdowns at home. So I will take Iowa to cover. All right. Um, Although well, it is fun to play the Herbie card. It is. Uh, and so I think that's going to do it for us. Josh, did we forget anything? Yeah, we did. I don't know no. how, I don't know how this, uh, this didn't. Did I not put something down on my notes? No, we, we did not. We have a major, major tilt in the SEC least division. Uh, not the joke on the SEC East. I mean, a, a joke on these are two of the worst teams in the SEC. You have Arkansas, who uh, won a squeaker against Portland State. You have Ole Miss, who lost a squeaker to Memphis. Um, not sure which of these teams is racing towards the bottom faster, but uh, at least Arkansas has a new coach that they might be excited about playing for. And Ole Miss appears to have a guy that will probably be a nice strength and conditioning coach somewhere uh, this time next fall. I don't know. Have you looked at Matt Luke? He doesn't seem like the uh, the strength and conditioning coach type. <laughs> no, he'll, he'll be the O-line coach at Alcorn State next year. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to take those lovable Arkansas Razorbacks in a monster road game. They're going to get the win. They're going to start 2-0. and And pretty much that guarantees them a bowl game because we know they're beating Colorado state. We know they're beating San Jose state. So they're going to start four and oh, they're going to get nationally ranked. They're going to struggle with A&M, but then they're going to beat Kentucky to get their fifth win. And then from there on out, I think they can run the tables because they just have Auburn, Bama, Mississippi state, Western Kentucky, LSU and Missouri. So light work. If Arkansas can pick up this huge road win in some hot van something hyphenated stadium in the middle of nowhere no one cares about mississippi state uh arkansas should be sitting pretty for that 12 and 0 season that i predicted so woo pig suey woo pig suey all right well I think that is actually going to do it for us this time. I feel bad for insulting Mississippi that much. Like, what do they do to deserve that? That was just getting blindsided right there. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say they don't deserve it. <laughs> well, there's Georgia a, State is favored over Furman. There's a, fan, you know. there's a fan all excited to go to the Grove this State. weekend. and That's the only reason to go to an Ole Miss football game and is then to go just, to the Grove. Then just randomly they get crapped on. <laughs> For no reason, I deliberately mispronounced their stadium. I called them Mississippi State along the way. John Voigt Stadium? <laughs> yeah. Eh, still more coherent than anything Lee Corso has done. <laughs> well, on that bombshell, I think we're going to end it for today's uh, show. So, on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois. This is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Bingo! Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion and check out our Facebook page.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.